everyone and welcome to Spark Leadership. I'm Wendy Tepiso Maledu, a senior behavioral scientist at CoachUp and the host of this show. Today's episode is all about personal growth, growing your people to grow your organization. We all want to grow as individuals, but how do we grow in a smart way? Well, my guest, Whitney Johnson, will share her framework for smart growth that works not only for individuals, but also for how organizations can apply the same model to create a culture of learning. Whitney Johnson is the CEO of the tech-enabled talent development company, Disruption Advisors, an Inc. 5000 2020 honoree one of the fast-growing private companies in America. Thinkers50 ranked her one of the top 10 management thinkers in the world in 2021. And in 2020, she was a top voice on LinkedIn, where she had 1.8 million followers. Whitney is the Wall Street Journal, USA Today, and Amazon's best-selling author of several books, including Disrupt Yourself and Build an A-Team. A former award-winning Wall Street equity analyst, Whitney is a highly sought-after executive advisor and coach. She also hosts the popular weekly podcast, Disrupt Yourself. I am so humbled and so delighted to have you on the show. A warm, warm welcome to the show with me. Oh, thank you, Wendy. That is the, the best introduction ever. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. By the way, let me start by acknowledging that I love your podcast. You are an outstanding host and I enjoy listening to it. I feel like a child in, in a toy shop when I'm listening to your podcast. I'm spoiled for choice with the amazing speakers. Thank you for the great work that you're doing. Oh, thank you. It's a pleasure and delight to, to be able to do that podcast. Awesomeness. Thank you, Wigdy. So one of the standing features of the show is that our guests share one interesting fact about themselves and we wrap up the show with future predictions. Can you please share with our listeners one interesting fun fact or any fact about yourself? I'm going to disrupt and share two facts. Yes. So so the first one is that I, I studied music in college. And when I was in college, I played in our university's big band. So we did jazz. So that's a fun fact that you might not know about me. And then my more recent fun fact is that during the pandemic, my daughter persuaded our family to watch Korean dramas. And so I am obsessed with K-dramas. And it's something that we do together as a family and, and, and watch. Uh, and are learning a little bit of Korean because it's just fun and delightful. Oh, wow. It is indeed a fun fact. Any Korean one word probably that you've learned? Um, yeah. Um, uyu means milk. Oh, well done. I thought I was going to disrupt you a bit there. <laughs> you all prepared. Well done. So let me also first congratulate you on the release of your new book, Smart Growth. But uh, maybe before we dig into it, can we probably start with the book Disrupt Yourself? I mean, the book was released in 2019, but I think it's even more relevant now with the disruption we have just gone through, you, you know, with the pandemic. Would you like to share some latest insights about the book uh, Disrupt Yourself? Yes, absolutely. The idea of Disrupt Yourself started over 10 years ago. I was working as an equity analyst on Wall Street, investing or, or making stock recommendations. 
And I was studying the emerging markets and looking at telecom in the emerging markets and found that I was building a financial model every single quarter that the estimates that I had for wireless penetration, they were being beat. So I was I was low every single quarter. And I was trying to figure out what is happening. Why, even when I'm aggressive with my estimates, are they too low? And I came across this book called The Innovator's Dilemma by Clayton Christensen, the late Clayton Christensen at Harvard Business School, where he talked about this theory of disruptive innovation, where a silly little thing takes over the world. And I realized This is what's happening in the emerging markets where people can't afford a landline. They may not have credit cards, so they can't actually even get the landline, even if they could afford it. And so they're willing to go to wireless, which is a prepaid handset. The sound quality is not great. So this is back in like 2002, 2003. Sound quality is not great, but bad sounds better than no sound. And so people were willing to buy these wireless subsidized handsets, and that was that silly little thing that was in the process of disrupting wireline. And so as this is happening, I'm looking at disruptive innovation. I'm very intrigued. I understand now what's going on um, with this product. But I have this aha that this, this theory isn't just about products and services and companies and countries. It's also about people, that um, that the fundamental unit of disruption or of growth in any organization is the individual. And so this set me on this path over time to really understand and, and, and put forth my own theory of disruption, but in this instance, personal disruption. And so this book, Disrupt Yourself, um, I originally wrote an article called Disrupt Yourself in Harvard Business Review back in 2012, but it was this idea of if you want to grow your organization, the mechanism to do that is to disrupt yourself. And I had a, a seven-point framework of personal disruption, which is to take the right risks, to play to your distinctive strengths, to embrace constraints, to be discovery-driven, and that if you would disrupt yourself, then you could grow. And and a good example of that for anybody who's thinking, well, what does she mean when she says personal disruption? Lady Gaga, she went straight to the top of the charts back in 2008 um, as a pop singer. But once she got there, she said, you know what, I'm going to disrupt myself. She didn't describe it that way. Um, but then she did a, a jazz album with Tony Bennett. She um, did a Sound of Music tribute at the Oscars. And then she uh, collaborated and produced a country album. And we look at that and we think, why did she do that? Why did she go to the top and then jump to the bottom of something new? Well, she was disrupting herself and that bet, huge bet, took off or, or played out because in 2017, when she performed at the Super Bowl, it was the largest music audience ever. And so my idea around personal disruption is that if you want to make progress as an individual, and if you want to make progress as an organization, it starts by you being willing to step back from who you are to slingshot into who you want to be. And you do that by doing things like embracing your constraints, taking the right risks, giving failure its due, et cetera. Thank you so much. I think you've beautifully summarized the key points of the book. And I think it goes back to what you said. What is that silly little thing that can disrupt you? And if you want to grow, it has to start with you disrupting yourself. So let's change the tune of the music. You said you were a music student. So let's change the tune of our music and now focus on the new book, Smart Growth. How do we 
grow smart. <laughs> right. And, and we're having a little bit of fun, right? There's a lot of play on words here, right? How do you grow smart? How do you grow, you know, grow so you can be smarter? And how do you quantify your growth in the, in the terms of smart devices? It's not about disruption per se. Disruption is the mechanism. But what we're really trying to do is we're trying to grow and we're trying to make progress. And the S curve is that map, that mental model that helps us think about what progress looks like. And then you use disruption to to catalyze that progress. So let me talk through what the model is at a very high level so that people can think about this. Because our premise is, is if you know what growth looks like, then you can increase your capacity to grow. And so if you have a map, if you can get smart about it, it it helps. So here's the map. The S curve itself is something that's been around for decades. It was popularized by Everett Rogers. He was a sociologist and he used it to look at how groups change over time, how an innovation might be adopted. And that's how we used it at the Disruptive Innovation Fund, that when a new innovation is introduced, initially it's at the, it's sort of in the shape of an S, it's going to look like adoption's not really happening. It can take you know, five years to get to 10% of the market. But once you reach a tipping point, which is something that Malcolm Gladwell popularized, you hit that tipping point, you go into hypergrowth, and that's that steep part of the S. And this is the place where penetration could go from 10% to 40% in three years' time. So all of a sudden, it just accelerates. And then you get to, to the top of that curve, and you've reached saturation for the market, and growth tapers off. So you've got this, this flat and then steep and then flat. Well, for me, the aha was that you you heard me talk about disruption and how you can apply it to people. I found myself applying this S-curve to people, to individuals and how we change. And so I've reimagined it as the S-curve of learning. And so here's what's happening in your brain. Whenever you start something new, whether it's you want to learn to play the ukulele, whether you want to learn to speak Korean, whether you want to be successful in a new job. Whether you want to be successful as a coach, um, when you first start, you are at the launch point of that S-curve. And what's happening there is your brain is, is making lots and lots of predictions, many of which are inaccurate. You've got this model. You're trying to run this predictive model. And because those predictions are inaccurate, the dopamine in your brain, it drops. And dopamine, which is a chemical messenger of delight, if it's dropping, you're basically de-delighting. So it, 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 you're having this experience of, I thought this was a good idea to do this, but I'm feeling overwhelmed and I'm feeling discouraged and I feel like I'm not growing at all. What's interesting is that the growth is in fact happening at a very rapid pace, but it's not apparent. Um, there's no outward signs that you can actually speak Korean at this point, even though you're learning a lot. And so growth feels slow. And so that now normalizes the experience that all of us are having when we're doing something new, which is, oh, I feel uncomfortable. Oh, I feel awkward and unsure and like I want to quit. And can I get better at this faster? This is normal. This is exactly how I'm supposed to feel. There's there's this pattern to this. And so then instead of making this about, oh, I can never be good at this, it's just, oh, I'm at the launch point. And so it normalizes the process of starting something new. Then you know from an S-curve perspective, you move into that tipping point, that steep part of the S. This is what I call the sweet spot. 
You're still running that predictive model, but your predictions are increasingly accurate. And so you're getting lots of emotional upside surprises. The momentum starts to take over and it feels exhilarating. You feel like you're exactly where you're supposed to be. So now you're having the experience of growth not only is fast, it feels fast. So that's the sweet spot. And then you get to mastery. So that's the top part of the curve. What happens there? Well, the model, the predictive model, those predictions that you were running, you have figured it out. But because you figured it out, there's not a lot of dopamine. You're not learning very much. So it, it time goes by fast because there's not a lot new to see, but growth has in fact slowed. And that is why you can be very good at something and feel like, I can't keep doing this. I feel like there's more for me. It's because your brain is saying, give me more dopamine. And so you've got slow at the launch point, fast in the sweet spot, slow in mastery, slow, fast, slow is how you grow. It traces the emotional arc of growth. And so for anybody who wants to grow, now you have a map, you've got this simple visual of what it looks like. And it is simple, but that's what makes it useful. And because you know what it looks like, then you're going to be able to grow faster. You're going to be able to be smart about your growth. This is amazing stuff. Thanks everyone for sticking around with us. I love how Whitney connects learning to emotion and neuroscience because we don't often think about learning in that way. I also wondered if the same model can be used when we change careers. Once we realize where we are on the S-curve, can we use this to know if we need to move somewhere else in our careers? I asked Whitney how this model is applicable to career change. Let me give you two examples. So the first example is to have a conversation around developing yourself within role. So a person that we um, had interviewed for this podcast, his name is Sumit Shetty, and he works at SAP in Bangalore, India. And what he does is when he hires someone, he, he assesses where is this person right now on the S-curve? Are they at the launch point? Because sometimes you hire people into the sweet spot. Sometimes you actually hire them into mastery because there's something you want them to do, but you're going to move them quickly to a new S-curve. But he looks at where are you and what do you need to do to build momentum? And so they now have this very clear artifact to talk about and to have a conversation around developing this person in this role so that they can move to the top of the curve and in time start at the launch point of a new curve. So that's how you can have that simple conversation. Now, another way that you can have the conversation is if you have a person um, on your team or it's you where you get to the top of a curve and, and this happened with a company called Chatbooks where um, there was a woman, she was the chief marketing officer and she had been there for a, a long period of time and was very, very good at the marketing piece. Well, when she took our assessment, our S-curve of learning tool, she saw, oh, I'm in mastery. But what this did is it allowed her, mastery is the top of the curve. It allowed her to say, oh, this isn't that I don't like working here at Chatbooks. It isn't that I don't like working for you, my the CEO and founder of the company. It's that, that I'm at the top of the curve and I'm not learning and I'm not growing. I'm not getting dopamine. And so my brain is saying, I need something new. And so now you can have that conversation with your manager that doesn't feel personal. It's just my brain is saying, do something new. 
in some instances, what that will mean is they'll say, all right, well, what do we need to do to stretch you so that you can move back into the sweet spot? Maybe it's a new project, a new team configuration. Maybe it's a new role. In her particular case, it meant that she moved to another startup somewhere else. But even so, it was an amicable um, departure because they both understood what was going on. And they both were invested not only in her growth, but also understanding that if she could grow and if she could move so that someone else could grow, then the company could continue to grow as well. I'm having my own aha moments here in these conversations. So this is so brilliant. So let's let's maybe connect the dots with what you've already shared and probably move a bit more into organizations. I mean, a lot of organizations want to know how do we create a culture of learning and growth? And I think you've kind of shared a, an example in the organization. Do you want to share more for organizations that says we want to create this and make it a culture? What What are some of the things can you say to that? Yeah. So I think a very easy starting point is that you can, um, as soon as you're, you know, right now you can draw an S and say, okay, so where am I? And then you can also draw an, an S and say, where are all the people on my team? And then have a conversation with them. Where do you think you are on the S curve? Um, here's where I think you are. Let's talk about that. What is that going to look like for you to grow and develop and build momentum where you are? And that's something that does not require approval from your manager. It doesn't require approval from anyone. It just starts with drawing that S and having a conversation. Now, obviously, there are additional things you can do. You can use our S-curve assessment. You can read the book Smart Growth. You can listen to the podcast episode 252 that talks about this. But you can start very simply by drawing that S and having that conversation. Because then what that does is that is giving the people that you're talking to that work for you and with you permission to think about their growth, permission potentially to have a conversation with you about roles and responsibilities. Because sometimes what happens is a person says, I'm in mastery. And you're like, well, I don't think you're in mastery. So let's talk about this. Why are you having that experience? It may mean that they're like, oh, they're, they've got one foot out the door. Or it may mean that you're doing part of their job. And so you need to have a conversation around the roles and responsibilities. So you yourself go jump to a new S curve. So this person has headroom to continue to grow on their particular S curve. And so that's what I would say for every person listening is there's a lot that you can do, but there's a very simple place to start, which is to draw that S and to have a conversation with someone, whether it's a colleague, whether it's yourself, whether it's your children, um, whether it's someone who works for you. Mm -hmm. And for, for the wider organization, if the organization wants to create a culture, what are some of the things can organizations do? Yeah, well, again, what we have found has happened, Wendy, over and over again, is that once a team introduces that or a manager introduces that with a person on their team, then they now have this language. It's basically a language of growth. And then they find, and they're introducing it across their team, then that manager says, oh, well, I want to cascade that down to my team. And so, yes, there are formal ways that you can do this and you can have a webinar and you can present the language and you can read the book, but it starts with you, the manager of saying, here's where I think you are. Here's what I want to do to help grow you. Where do you think you are? If you're at the launch point, do you need more support? Do you need more training? If you're in the sweet spot, 
Um, do you need me to help you focus and, and have you be able to say no to me? Cause I've just given you 10 projects because you're so competent, but I understand that if I give you too much, then you're going to derail. So I need to help you focus. And if you're in mastery, maybe it's that you do need a new challenge. So at the launch point, you can say, we need support in the sweet spot. We need focus in, in mastery. We need a challenge. Um, but you as a manager can really start that. You can also then use this if you're thinking about organizationally is, okay, well, if we're trying to grow, we want to optimize for growth. Do I need to make sure that I've got 60% of my people in the sweet spot and 20% at the launch point and 20% mastery? What's the right mix of my curves to make sure that we're optimized for innovation or optimized to do whatever it is we're trying to do right now. So there are lots of implications of it, but it, it starts with that individual conversation. I love what Whitney said there, that the Earth's curve is a great conversation starter. This could also be a trigger for great coaching conversations because sometimes people don't know where to start when talking about personal growth. Before we wrap up the show, there's a great quote in Whitney's book that I love. It says, growth happens when learning is internalized. So I asked Whitney to share practical ways to internalize learning. Yeah, so the word learning is so interesting, right? Because on the one hand, it can, we sometimes mean learning as we just took in and ingested some information, but it's not actually applied yet. And so I think what I would like to do is give you some thoughts of, okay, so I want to do something new. I want to learn the ukulele. I can watch a lot of videos. I can, you know, take lessons, but you're going to internalize it by saying, I'm going to be at the launch point of this and I'm going to pick up the ukulele and I'm going to take a lesson. I'm going to practice. And so from an S-curve perspective, what you're doing is saying, how do I move off the launch point? Because right now playing the ukulele is something I do, but I want it to be who I am. I am a ukuleleist or a ukulele player. So how do we do that? How do we move off the launch point? Well, three quick steps or ideas for that. Number one is when you're on the launch point, recognize that it is going to feel slow and uncomfortable. You're going to be like, I'm terrible at this. I'm not good at this. And we get out of practice at being bad at things because as we're, as we move into adulthood, we can insulate ourselves from ever doing anything new at all. So that's the first thing is just say, it's supposed to be uncomfortable. Number one, slow, fast, slow is how you grow. Second thing you want to do is if you think about an S-curve and this idea of internalizing is an S-curve is a dopamine management exercise. At the launch point, it is dropping. In the sweet spot, it's spiking. And mastery, it's, it's flat. So how do you make your launch point have some spikes in dopamine? Well, the way you do that is you set these small goals. So you say to yourself, all right, well, I want to play the ukulele. Am I going to do this for 30 minutes a day or we can take running? Whatever it is you want it to be. 30 minutes a day probably isn't going to happen. Probably 15 minutes. I might do it for two days, but then I'll stop because I just won't have time for it. So how do I set a small goal of, you know what? I'm just going to pick up the ukulele. Or I'm going to buy one, first of all, but I'm going to pick it up for a minute a day for a week. So that you start to build those neural pathways. You start to get that dopamine of, oh, I set a goal. And I met it. Great. And now that that emotion creates that habit that allows you to start 
to build that momentum, to start to manage your dopamine so it's working in your favor. So you set small, ridiculously small goals after you know that you're going to be uncomfortable. And then the third way that you can start to internalize this learning is to build an accountability. Say what you're going to do to someone by when. I am going to practice a ukulele for five minutes a day, every day for a week. So you now have this accountability that's built in and you put those three things together, the accountability, those small goals, it's supposed to be uncomfortable. It allows you to start to see your identity shift. It allows you in this deliberate way to start to build momentum off the launch point of the curve, start to internalize so that what it is you are working on stops being something that you do, but then over time you become deliberate and then you get to the top of that S curve where it is something that you are. It is who you are. I am a ukuleleist. I am a runner. I am a boss that people want to work for because they know that when they work for me, I will help them grow. Thank you for those three practical steps. First, it will feel slow and uncomfortable, set small goals, and lastly, have an accountability partner. Those are the three key things that you can do to internalize your learning. As we wrap our conversations, Whitney, please share the predictions. Where, if, I mean, this is a, a miracle question we ask in coaching. What does the future of growth and learning for individuals and organizations look like in three years, five years, 10 years from now? Well, Wendy, I think one of the real gifts of the pandemic is that we were required to grow a lot. And so there's this moment in time and psychologists call it post-traumatic growth. And so we're in this place where we've grown and we now have more muscles on what growth looks and feels like. And so we want to grow. Many people and those who are probably on this podcast are saying, I want to grow. I want to get smarter about my growth. How do I move through this growth cycle, this S-curve of learning more quickly? I want to map for what this looks like. And we're going to increasingly get smart about it and using devices that will help us do that. So that's what I think is going to happen over the next three to five years. I think it's going to be a very, very exciting time as we come out of the pandemic. We'll watch the space. The future of growth and learning has already been set. We look forward to seeing it come to pass in our lifetime. So thank you so much, Whitney, for your time. It has been my joy and privilege to speak with you today. Thank you so much. Thank you, Wendy, for having me. My conversation with Whitney sparked a lot of aha moments in my approach towards personal growth. Just doing a simple exercise of drawing the Earth's curve has made me realize where I'm sitting in the curve. And that is so liberating. If you like what you've heard and want to explore more, head over to coachhub.com to learn how we democratize coaching across all career levels. And if you're listening on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or any other streaming platform, please give us a rating and leave a comment. Join me on our next episode as I speak with a leadership coach and a scholar of organizational development, Dr. Mudube Taylor Pierce. We'll discuss the work he's doing on leadership development in Africa, as well as his research on how people and organizations achieve success. From everyone at Coach Hub Studios, have a wonderful day. Happiness.